Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Welcome in, Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. We have got a lot to dive into today. I hope all of you are having fantastic Tuesdays, wherever you may be, across this great nation or this great land. Uh, I'm going to start right off the top. Not going to surprise anybody. Congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs, 65-7, to winners over TCU. They obliterated TCU. It was not remotely close. Georgia now has won back-to-back national championships. Kirby Smart, who is only 47 years old, becomes the first alum of a school since Bear Bryant to win multiple championships at that school. Uh, Georgia just played flat out incredible. Stetson Bennett has a legacy for the ages, finishes 29-3, and back-to-back championships, a guy who came out of nowhere to lead his home state school to consecutive championships and in the process became uh, a Georgia legend. I believe Kirby Smart called him the greatest bulldog of them all, which is quite the endorsement for a guy that had to walk his way onto that program. Um, So, congratulations to Georgia. What is the legacy here? What did we learn? Um, I think there's a couple of things. One, the real national championship game, as I told you that I thought it would be, was Georgia against Ohio State. This is one where the odds makers would have let you know that of the four finalists, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, that Georgia was the best, TCU was the weakest. TCU beat Michigan. Credit to TCU for getting that win over Michigan. Although, I think you can sit around and think, would you rather have lost the semifinal in a close game than lose by a historic magnitude and margin in the championship game? I don't think that's a crazy question, given how bad TCU got beaten. Um, But this is why I said that I would have seeded Georgia as the one TCU as the four, uh, Michigan as the two, Ohio State as the three. I think the committee didn't because they wanted to avoid a rematch, but that, I believe, would have guaranteed you SEC versus Big Ten, which I suspect would have done far better in uh, the final rankings. A couple of things additionally about this game. The SEC is now 14-3 and three in college football playoff games against non-SEC teams since the playoff began. 14-3, 10-1 in first-round games. What does this tell us going forward? I tweeted it out. You can save this clip. People love to save clips for years and bring them back out of context. I appreciate it. All publicity is good publicity. I think at some point in the five years that we expand to 12, I think that we are going to see four SEC teams as the final four in the playoff. 
Some people are saying, well, a 12-team playoff. So write that down, save it, grab the video. Six years from now, you can share it if I'm wrong. I think we're going to see four SEC teams as the final four at some point in time. Now, how does that happen in a 12-team playoff? That's a good question in and of itself. How does it happen that we end up with four SEC teams? Remember, not next year, because we're sticking with four next year, but after next year, we're going to have a 12-team playoff. But it's a bit of an aberrant 12-team playoff. Your top four teams will be conference champions. Not the four best teams, the four best conference champions. That means only one SEC team will get a bye. This year, for instance, your one seed would have been Georgia. Your two seed would have been Michigan. Not a lot of change there. But your three seed would have been, uh, and, and I think this surprises people a lot, Clemson. And your four seed would have ended up being Kansas State. So to me, that's a bit of a surprise. Uh, And based on what happened to Kansas State, dominated by Alabama, based on what happened to Clemson, dominated by Tennessee, did those teams really ever deserve the bye? I don't think so. That's why I would argue we shouldn't be rewarding just conference champions. Sometimes that will happen but we should instead take the four highest-ranked teams and give them a bye as opposed to giving teams that happen to win a conference like Kansas State uh, or like Clemson, which are otherwise nowhere near the top four. Okay, as a result of these games, I gave you my top 10. People are in an uproar uh, last night over my final top 10. But let me go ahead and tell you what my final top 10 looked like and explain why this was. And also, by the way, I've got to raise my chair. I think somebody lowered my chair uh, during the during the Christmas break because my head is way too low in this, in this video. And I'm going to... Hold on a sec. Um, I feel immensely better already. I think I'm going to raise it a little bit more. I think that's as high as the chair goes. But that does make me feel a little bit more normal. I was like a, on only a third of the video screen. I don't know how that happened. Um, my top 10. Georgia's clearly number one. Number two actually becomes difficult to figure out if you actually do your job. In a normal week of the college football rankings, if a team lost by 58, they would drop like 10 spots, right? If TCU and Georgia had played in November in an out-of-conference game, and Georgia had beaten them 65-7, to I don't think TCU would have stayed in the top 10. Certainly, TCU wouldn't have stayed in the top 10 if they had lost to Kansas State a couple of weeks before or a couple of weeks after that 65-7 to lambasting. So why would they still be number two? I think it's because most people who do the AP poll, candidly, are not very smart. Most people in sports media as a general rule, are not that smart. People say, how did you dominate? How did you start off writing as a lawyer part-time and end up with one of the largest sports websites in the country? The answer is, I'm a lot smarter than most people who do sports. Most people who do sports, not that smart. So they voted TCU too, okay? No way TCU is the second best team in the country. But... 
I also don't think you can put TCU behind Michigan because Michigan has to, uh, the win over Michigan has to have some value from just 10 days ago. And I don't think you can put Ohio State, even though they played closely against Georgia, I don't think you can put Ohio State uh, behind uh, or in front of Michigan. I think Ohio State has to be behind Michigan, which is why my number two team ends up being Tennessee. Because if you go back and look at the whole resumes, Tennessee beat Alabama, beat LSU, beat Pittsburgh, and beat Clemson. That's four top 20 wins. Yes, they didn't play well against uh, Georgia, but they lost on the road by 13, which is a lot better, uh, 14, whatever it was, a lot better than what TCU did. Uh, And they played poorly, defensively, atrociously against South Carolina. But everybody forgets they still scored 38 points. So they ended up losing by whatever it was, 23 points. Not good. It's the worst performance of the year for Tennessee. But it ain't getting beat by 58. And the offense still performed. And that's even with Hendon Hooker tearing his ACL. Then people said, well, they shouldn't be above Alabama. But now that we've seen Tennessee come back with Joe Milton and shut out Vanderbilt, beat Vanderbilt by more than Alabama did, and then beat Clemson by 17, I actually think Tennessee is comfortably, in my opinion, I think Tennessee is comfortably above Alabama. So my top 10. Number one, Georgia. Only one that really matters. Number two, Tennessee. Number three, Alabama. Number four, uh, this is where you get into the, uh, the dynamics of the playoff. I've got TCU four, Michigan five, Ohio State, six, seven, I've got Penn State, and then I think eight, nine, and ten gets more complicated because there aren't really that many teams, I don't believe, after Penn State. I think everybody would agree on who the seven best teams are, but after Penn State, I'm not really sure uh, how many different teams you could make an argument for. You could make an argument for Tulane. Uh, You could make an argument for... Uh, a, a variety of teams that aren't in my top 10, but I've got Washington at eight, Florida State at nine, and Utah at 10. That is my top 10. People are reacting like crazy. There you go. Uh, national title odds for next year. If you're sitting around, you're like, man, I'm already ready for 2023. I'll give you the odds. This is the top 10 most likely teams to win the national title in 2023, already turning the page. Alabama is, uh, sorry, uh, Georgia is your preseason favorite, followed by Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, all of those teams eight to one or less. That's your top four. Followed by USC at five, uh, Clemson at six, and then you have a bunch of teams tied at 20 to 1 to round out the top 10, Florida State, Texas, Penn State, LSU, and Tennessee. I believe that is the top 11. Then you got Notre Dame, Oregon, and Washington as the top 14 or so teams uh, to most likely to win a national championship. Uh, so those are all of my uh, thoughts on the national title game. I'll reiterate again. My prediction, within five years of there being 12 teams, 
all four of the final four will be from the SEC. All right? That's my prediction. Write it in stone. Also, I will say this. People say, oh, with 12 teams, we're going to have even more blowouts. I understand that argument. I don't believe it. Because in order to make the conference championship game, the national championship game, you will have to win either three games if you don't get a bye or two games if you are getting a bye as one of those top four. I think the teams that win two or three are unlikely to get into the championship game and absolutely get obliterated like TCU did. Now, it could still happen, right? Super Bowl is hard to get to. Sometimes the team that makes the Super Bowl gets completely destroyed in the actual Super Bowl. So just because it's difficult to get there doesn't mean it's never going to happen again. But I do think it's worth contemplating there. All right, there are my thoughts on the national title 2022 season officially complete. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. I'm Clay Travis, and Outkick the Show is going to keep right on rolling. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, save $30 on the American-made Steel FS56 RCE Trimmer. Real Steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Last night, I'm about to go out to dinner. And as I'm about to go out to dinner, uh, Gary Schreier's one of our OutKick people, texts me the link because I try to get off the phone every now and then. I'm going out to dinner. I don't want to, it's the evening. Suddenly the news is breaking that Joe Biden, Joe Biden himself, has managed to keep 10 at least classified documents and they discovered it on November 2nd. So I'm old enough to remember when I was told that based on Donald Trump having classified documents, that he should be in prison, that he could never run for president again. Uh, somebody even tweeted that he should be charged with crimes and executed. Uh, and now Joe Biden has gone and done it himself. So this immediately brings to mind uh, Barack Obama's uh, quote, which I'm paraphrasing here, don't underestimate Joe's ability to f*** things up. So Joe Biden just, I believe, ended any possibility that Donald Trump is going to be charged with a crime for mishandling or obstruction or anything related to classified documents. I just think it's going to be virtually impossible to pull that off uh, because of Joe Biden himself doing it, not to mention Hillary also doing it. But Mike, I have several questions associated with this. And foremost among them is, why did this story come out now? Why did the Biden administration and Merrick Garland, everybody in Department of Justice, know about this since November 2nd. I think that might have mattered a little bit in the midterm elections if the information on this had gotten out. Why did they know about this for multiple months, all of November basically, all of December, and it doesn't come out until January? I think the coincidence on the timing is because the House took control of, uh, 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 the Republicans took control of the House and they know that investigations are coming and they're trying to get ahead of it. 
So why did this take so long to come out? Also, why were there not raids of all of Joe Biden's residences? Joe Biden has a private home. He has a beach house. Why was the FBI not called in to conduct raids and potentially need to seize Joe Biden's passport? Why didn't they go through Jill Biden's uh, underwear drawer? Why didn't they go through all of their clothes? Why was the FBI not called in to raid Joe Biden when we know that he had at least 10 documents that he was had in his possession, that he had no right, that he was committing a crime? It's an interesting question. Uh, also, bigger picture here. What about Joe Biden going on 60 Minutes and saying it was unbelievable that anybody could have classified documents while he himself had classified documents? I think a lot of you out there just throw up your hands and you say, this is what politics in America has become. Both parties accuse each other of things that they are likely to have done themselves. And in particular, this is a parlor game now in uh, the uh, Democrat Party where they've convinced themselves that Donald Trump is Hitler. And so anything that Trump does is evidence of what Hitler would have done, even if Joe Biden himself was actually engaged in the same behavior. Uh, So I can't wait to see all of those left-wing talking heads get themselves into logic pretzels trying to explain this. Also, I would love to see Merrick Garland's reaction when he became aware that Joe Biden had totally screwed up his investigation on these documents. Now, this is yet another avenue where I don't believe Democrats are going to be able to charge Donald Trump with a crime. And so I think what's going to end up happening is Merrick Garland will eventually call a press conference and he'll wag his finger about Donald Trump's behavior and Joe Biden's behavior and classified documents and ultimately decide no one is going to get charged with a crime. But it does speak to Joe Biden's unique incompetence that he could have these documents, including and involving Ukraine, Ukraine, Iran, and the United Kingdom, according to CNN, were what those classified documents were connected to. And I just think the Ukraine documents in particular are awful for Joe Biden because it calls back into question the Hunter Biden relationship um, and it also raises the larger issue of what exactly did Joe Biden know that was so valuable to Ukraine that they could justify giving millions of dollars to his crackhead son, Hunter Biden, despite the fact that Hunter had no tangible abilities and was entirely being paid based on his father's job. So I think that is a big story here. um, And I'm curious to see how exactly this is going to be covered because now Merrick Garland's only real option to charge Donald Trump with any crimes is going to come down to January 6th. And my theory had been that they would use these classified documents as an opportunity to charge Trump with a crime. I think Joe Biden's own incompetence and own criminal behavior, and to the extent on these classified documents it's criminal, uh, was and is going to be an issue going forward. Also remember, the vice president doesn't have the ability to declassify documents. So these were documents from when Joe Biden was vice president, so he didn't have the ability to declassify these documents. I'm curious if, Joe, if uh, Barack Obama is going to try to 
wave a magic wand and declassify these documents himself. Remember, President Trump has partially defended himself by arguing that these documents were no longer declassified. Uh, So, this story is going to be fascinating, and if you're interested in media bias, just compare the way that this is covered by MSNBC, uh, by CNN, Washington Post, New York Times, ABC, CBS, NBC. They covered the Mar-a-Lago raid voluminously. They covered every detail associated with it with a fine-tooth comb. Will they do the same for Joe Biden? I think that Merrick Garland's going to have to appoint a special counsel. They should do further uh, FBI raids on the president's home to see whether he has any other documents that are classified. I am going to do something that is almost unheard of. I'm going to be consistent here. I don't care that much about former presidents or vice presidents having classified documents in their possession. I don't think on the scale of issues that I am most concerned about, this does not rate that highly. I will point out, however, that Joe Biden had these unclassified, uh, these classified documents in uh, a location without Secret Service uh, protection. Remember, if you've ever been to Mar-a-Lago, and I've been several times, President Trump has these documents under the watch and key of the Secret Service meaning you can't get into Mar-a-Lago and walk around without going through Secret Service screening. These documents were just inside of office space that Biden had rented uh, in the Washington, D.C. area where any number of people could have theoretically had access to them. It's actually more dangerous, these documents are, uh, to be reviewed by someone else than the documents involving uh, Trump. So, That is all out there. We just finished the Clay and Buck show. I hope you guys have watched uh, or listened, and I hope you enjoyed it. We just had Alex Berenson on. Alex Berenson is now a part of the Twitter files revealing information from inside of Twitter relating to government censorship and and, or censorship related to Pfizer and the COVID uh, Moderna shots. In particular, what Alex Berenson has determined is that Scott Gottlieb, who claimed to be a neutral party, was sitting on the Pfizer board and he was demanding that any account that questioned the validity uh, of the COVID shot, the efficacy of the COVID shot, that it should be removed. And anybody who even said something straightforward and true, like natural immunity is as strong or stronger than the COVID shot immunity, which is certainly true, uh, should be censored. And so this ties in with the story that I told you that I was going to talk about yesterday and I'm now talking about today. And what I'm holding up for those of you who are watching on video, this is yesterday's Wall Street Journal and the headline is The White House COVID Censorship Machine. And this ties in with what Alex Berenson revealed to all of us. Uh, But here's the opening paragraph and we had... Janine Yoon's uh, on our program, radio program today, one of the authors of this editorial. Opening paragraph. Newly released documents show the White House has played a major role in censoring Americans on social media. That's a blockbuster sentence. Email exchanges between Rob Flaherty 
the White House's Director of Digital Media and Social Media Executives prove the companies put COVID censorship policies in place in response to relentless coercive pressure from the White House, not voluntarily. The emails emerged January 6th in the discovery phase of Missouri versus Biden, a free speech case brought by the Attorney General's of Missouri and Louisiana and four private plaintiffs represented by the new Civil Liberties Alliance. And what's important about this, and I want to make it clear because I think a lot of people get uh, uncertain when it comes to First Amendment related issues and exactly how they are applied, okay? So I want to give you something that would clearly be a First Amendment violation. In China, if they don't like what you are saying on social media, they censor you. The the government of China does. That would be, for anyone out there, completely unacceptable and unconstitutional for the United States government to do. That is, our government could not directly go onto social media and say, you can't post that on Facebook You can't post that on Twitter. You can't post that on Instagram or YouTube or any other tech company platform out there. They certainly couldn't go to a newspaper and say, you can't publish this, but the government can't stop speech. That's what the First Amendment says. It's the most basic level. What's happened in the United States is not what China's doing. The government's not directly doing it. But the government is effectively deputizing all of these big tech companies and using them as a manner to censor their critics. And there are all uh, sorts of emails in writing from the Biden White House laying out demands for censorship. Uh, And here's a paragraph from one of these emails. We are gravely concerned, the Biden White House wrote, that your service is one of the top drivers of vaccine hesitancy, period. This is to Facebook. We want to know that you're trying. We want to know how we can help. And we want to know that you're not playing a shell game. This would be all a lot easier if you would just be straight with us. Uh, Mr. Flaherty also strong-armed Google accusing YouTube, I'm reading from the article, of funneling people into vaccine hesitancy. He said the concern was, quote, this is a quote, to to Google slash YouTube, shared at the highest, and I mean the highest levels of the White House, and required more work to be done. The White House is bullying Google, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these big tech companies and demanding that they remove the, the, uh, the work, <coughs> the opinions, the articles of their critics, including OutKick's own employee, Tommy Laren, <coughs> who shared an opinion on Facebook about why she wasn't going to get the COVID shot that the White House then demanded YouTube, sorry, Facebook not allowed to circulate. So this is pretty wild. Tommy was sharing her direct opinion 
one that has ended up being validated, by the way, that it didn't make sense for her as a young, healthy woman to get the COVID shot. And the White House was so enraged about her sharing her own opinion that they demanded Facebook not allow that opinion to be shared. That's Tommy's personal health decision. Same decision, by the way, that I made. Same decision that I made for my kids. No one should be getting this COVID shot, period. If you are under the age, I think, of 50 and otherwise healthy. And certainly if you're a teenager or a kid or in your 20s or 30s, there's no way on earth you need to get this COVID shot. It has more danger to you than it does any uh, any protections at all. These are flagrant First Amendment violations. And I would be calling this out no matter who was doing it. Imagine how MSNBC, CNN, ABC, CBS, NBC, The Washington Post, The New York Times would be covering these email revelations if Donald Trump's administration had been demanding that their critics be censored and that the big tech companies have been doing it. What I believe is going to be revealed and continues to be revealed is that the left wing in this country lost its mind over Donald Trump and abandoned all precepts of belief in the Constitution in favor of embracing authoritarian governance like China. And they used COVID as their opportunity to do so. Everyone should be chilled by what this represents, which is a fundamental First Amendment violation by the office of the presidency. And this is, I believe, the biggest and most chilling threat to democracy. Democracy, if it actually dies in darkness, will be dying because of issues like these, not because of January 6th. What the Biden administration was doing with big tech makes Watergate seem like jaywalking. And remember, (coughs) we only know about this because they actually were so brazen that they put all of this in emails. Imagine what they were saying in meetings and phone conversations if they were demanding restrictions and unconstitutional First Amendment violations in emails for all to see involving these big tech companies. So, this is important. Uh, Flaherty, here's another quote uh, with an email to Facebook. You only did this, however, after an election you helped increase skepticism in and an insurrection, wasn't an insurrection, which was plotted in large part by your platform. Uh, I want assurances based in data that you are not doing the same thing again here. The executive responded, understood. Again, they were demanding that things be limited, not just on Facebook, but also on WhatsApp, which is a private messaging app. And they justified it by saying, given its reach in immigrant communities and communities of color. This is scary. And it hasn't gotten as much attention. But 
They wanted to limit the spread of viral content on WhatsApp, which is ostensibly a private messaging app. Well, they wanted to control what you were able to text to other people. That would mean that Facebook is monitoring everything that's being texted on WhatsApp. But also would mean that Facebook has the ability to censor not only what you are able to distribute to the larger community, through your Facebook account, for instance, or your Instagram account, but also to censor what you are able to share in private messages? That's a different level of censorship, right? And I think most of you would understand that. Like, I on my phone can pick up this phone right now and I can share with you my opinions on Twitter. If the White House were upset with those, they might try to keep me from sharing those opinions on Twitter. That's where a lot of these stories come from. But it's a next level of censorship for the White House to then say, and we don't want Clay Travis to be able to communicate privately via messages information that we don't believe should be able to be shared. This is chilling. This is scary. This is a big story. The biggest in any of our lives. And the silence from so many in media proves how complicit they all are on these stories. I appreciate all of you. Thank you for reading. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Uh, OutKick is on a roll. That's because of you guys. Hope you had great college football years. Hope you took Georgia to cover and the over for a nice double win to finish the season. I'll be back later this week uh, with gambling picks for all of you in the NFL wildcard weekend playoffs. My name is Clay Travis. This has been OutKick the Show. DBAP, unless you need to SBAP. I will see you guys tomorrow.